I don't need help. I'm not in an abusive relationship. This is just how it is for us. It's a lie we tell ourselves, one that many in abusive relationships repeat until they believe it. But there's hope. Welcome to I'm Not In An Abusive Relationship, a podcast about surviving domestic and sexual violence. This show is about hope. You will hear from survivors of abuse, and their stories may sound familiar. They may even inspire hope. Our goal is to connect with others in these toxic relationships to offer that hope, and with supporters of our mission, anyone willing to help get rid of abuse in our culture. We also talk with the experts in the field, from the officers on the front lines of domestic abuse calls to the therapists and advocates helping survivors navigate this complicated road of recovery. If you're in need of help, please visit our website or call our 24-7 hotline, 800-828-2023. And if this is an emergency and you need help immediately, please call 911. And welcome back to I'm Not In An Abusive Relationship. I'm your host for this episode. My name is Dan, and we are... Uh, honoring we are exploring we are referencing uh, this month that we are in called sexual assault awareness month uh, a national effort of course international effort in fact uh, going on for the month of april and our guests today uh, we have had this company on before but these are, are different folks joining me today and i'm very excited to get into this back on uh, episode 92 i talked with uh, titania jordan about keeping our kids safe on social media in relation to human trafficking Today, we are specifically talking about, again, Sexual Assault Awareness Month, and I am joined by Renee Abrams, School Safety Manager, and Katie McPherson, Regional Sales Manager at BARC. Uh, ladies, welcome to the show. Well, thanks so much for having us, Dan. Thanks for Absolutely. having us. Absolutely. And so for those listeners who maybe didn't hear my previous episode, very quickly, BARC uh, is a technology platform that helps keep kids safe online and in real life. Uh, founded back in 2015 by a dad of two, Brian Basin. Uh, he wanted to help monitor online activities for potential issues like cyberbullying, sexual predators, adult content, depression, acts of violence, suicidal ideation, and more. And so Bark helps do that. So it helps us parents. So ladies, um, if we could, uh, let's start with just kind of story time, if you would. Um, Renee, how did you end up with Bark? What is, how does that align with your values. Tell me your story just a little bit, if you would. Oh, wow. That's a great question, Dan. <laughs> you know, it's always so hard to talk about ourselves, right? So um, how did I end up at Bark? You know, all of our stories uh, sort of start the same where it's just really serendipitous, right? My background is in uh, business development and uh, actually broadcasting and also in education. And so at BARC, being school safety manager, it's somehow the convergence of all of these skill sets, right? Uh, yeah. Here in this role. Uh, but my passion for kids and just, uh, you know, an appreciation and respect for them in the developmental ages is what led me to be a classroom teacher. And then uh, from there, I came straight to Bark. I had a really good friend who was working here and um, just to hear his passion every single time we spoke. Uh, it was already, it already had like a place in my heart, right? Uh, and then once they started to uh, look at the school's division and look at ways that we could really partner with schools and uh, keeping kids safe on school issued accounts and talking to administrators and, uh, you know, getting the voice of our educators, uh, that's when, when I came on board. So right I guess that's the, sh the short answer, uh, yeah. if it was short. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was perfect. Yeah. 
Um, yeah. All right. So, so Katie, how about yourself as regional sales manager? Uh, what, what is, what does that mean? And how did you end up at Bark? And why does it align with you personally? What's your story? It's a really good story. Um, so I have spent the last 20 plus years on a middle or high school campus. And I left five years ago now um, because I was so concerned with what I was seeing with what my students were engaging in. My day job was as an administrator, but it was spent literally fighting Snapchat, Instagram, and Twitter, like my whole day. So it's like, I can't do this anymore. This is not why I went into this. So I went on the road as a speaker um, for the last five years on digital wellness, social media responsibility, and just youth mental health. And then um, this global pandemic hit and all of my speaking kind of came to a screeching halt. So I had always been a huge fan of Bark, um, served as a Bark ambassador. And so I just made the pivot over to regional sales manager, which is completely out of my wheelhouse as far as piece. But um, I think as an educator, you're always selling something. So here I am, super excited um, to be part of the team and closing in on my one year anniversary on April 20th. Congratulations. Very cool. Yes. Nice round of applause. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, it's so it's, it's interesting. I'm, I mean, to me anyway, uh, I'm in Southwest Michigan. And as I was doing my research ahead of time, I saw uh, Katie that you were interviewed by West Michigan woman a, a few years ago. Yeah. I guess two years ago now it's 2021, isn't it? Um, so just this, this little bit of a connection to West Michigan. So, um, and, and that, it, that article was your child got a device for Christmas consider these six steps now. So we'll probably get into a little bit of that. I'd like to kind of start though with how things have, have, have changed, right? How has life changed for parents trying to keep kids safe from sexual assault? Renee, you want to go first? I'll, I'll let you hop in, Katie. I'll tell you. <laughs> okay. Um, I mean, I'll just call out like the access we've given, handed over this medium to 4 billion strangers with no training. And they are crashing and burning in every way possible, ranging from exposure to explicit content, to people contacting them, to people meeting up with them. And I will say, you know, one of the reasons I left the school was one of my students was sexually assaulted by her best friend's dad. And I was part of that investigation because um, the mom came to me and said, I can't figure out what's going on here. She's talking to somebody in a way that I've never seen before. And this was pre-BARC, pre-many of the apps that monitor. So I would call out the main theme is exposure and access to people that are close to you and people that are not close to you and just the continuous medium that they have to talk to strangers and people that they're friendly with. Yeah, and, yeah. and you mentioned that the, the, that communication, the, the texting, the messaging, it could be on WhatsApp, it could be on Instagram, it could be wherever. And, and I don't know if, I'm gonna go out on a limb here. I don't know if this is a definition or not, but I'd like to propose this idea that sexual assault isn't just physical, right? Sexual assault, that trauma, can be done through those mediums, those that media, uh, whether it's sending photos, asking for photos, the, the interactions they have, like that's all sexual assault against our kids. And we need to be so careful about that. Um, I just, I had that thought as you were, as you were talking, Katie. Yeah. Um, and, Renee, go ahead. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I was just going to say, I'm no. so happy you said that. One of the things we were actually talking about this morning is just the importance in recognizing that 
online sexual harassment is a big deal and that it really is any unwanted sexual conduct. And so whether you're an educator or a parent, just talking to our kids about the importance of it and not brushing it off because, oh, it happened online and not IRL, right? Not in real life. Um, but it is really recognized as a form of sexual violence because there's some form of coercion there usually. It's usually exploitative in nature um, and it, it robs our kids of their dignity, so. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And I, <clears throat> I once interviewed a, a woman who spoke about uh, surviving online harassment. She gave a presentation at an event that was something to the effect of the smart, the, the savvy women's guide to surviving online harassment. Mm-hmm. And I, and I went thinking, okay, I want to understand this. And, um, and I knew who she was and I admired her. Uh, even though I'm not a smart savvy woman, I, I thought this is good. I'm raising daughters and I just want to know. And, uh, and she talked about that. Exactly. That's online is still real. Mm-hmm. It may not be face to face, but it is still real because you're still scared of your own safety they can dox you, which is giving away all your information online, all your personal information. So there's a lot that can happen. There's a lot there to unpack, isn't there? Um, yes. What have you seen, Renee, uh, as parents face these these challenges to uh, keeping our kids safe? Well, how have you seen it change from being in the schools to being where you are now over the years? Mm-hmm. Uh, I will say, well, the great thing about uh, my role here is I get to work with schools on figuring out how they can, uh, you know, keep kids safer on school accounts. And then I get to talk to parents about how they can, uh, you know, really just take positive spe- steps to stay in the know with what's going on online. So I, I would say for me, if I had to say what was the number one thing, it would be that even parents who are millennials, right? Which we typically feel like they're tech savvy, you know, they, well, you know, millennials have tweens and, uh, you know, older, some of them even now. Mm-hmm. And I guess the thing that um, I'm surprised about most often is that they are very much in the dark about uh, how their kids are interacting online and how much different it is than, than what they're doing. And so because they feel like, uh, well, you know, I kind of, I'm tech savvy, I know what's going on. There's that uh, hesitancy or they don't even see the need to have continuing education about mm-hmm. how kids are interacting with tech. It's one of those things that, uh, just like you said, you hopped on that uh, smart, sassy woman podcast. It's one of those things that, you know, we'll just have to, to add. Like teachers, I know Katie will attest to this, we had to have professional development, right? Uh, so we always encourage parents to have sort of this uh, digital parental development, right? Mm-hmm. But that's one of the things that I, uh, I guess, notice the most is that things change so quickly and parents don't often know where to go to keep up with those changes. Yeah. So yeah, I, I was just taking a note, digital parental development, put it on my calendar, do that <laughs> weekly. Right. Um, and I, and I feel, you know, very tech savvy. I'm, I'm Gen X, but my daughters are soon to be 15 and 16. They, they mm-hmm. age up in a couple of weeks here. Um, and I'd like to think, and I do this for a living, right? I'm involved in podcasting. I'm involved in technology. I build websites, all this kind of stuff and social media. I'm, I'm on all the platforms, but you still, yeah, it's a whole different world now as they get better at it. We need to keep up on it. Even when we think we know what we're doing. Um, and as we're talking about all this technology, it seems scary. It seems very like, just get rid of it all. It's, this is all negative. Just let's start over and let's just go be farmers. Um, but technology can be helpful. How do you see technology being positive in some way? 
Um, I can just speak to specifically during the pandemic, it's been a great connection tool for kids. And I think the silver lining is that parents have now realized like not all screen time is created equal. Our kids are pretty genius. They were able to pivot on a dime once remote learning started and that it is going to be a tool and has been a tool that their students have been using. So a lot of the teenagers that I talk to and kids that I talk to have used it for good, are cultivating a digital footprint that's going to be shiny and responsible. And that's what I would encourage parents to be thinking about right now when we have a little more time together than we're used to is how are you cultivating your students' digital footprint with them? Instead of fighting about it, we've got to bridge this divide and really instead of us versus them, it has to be, we're all in this together. And so that's what we really encourage at Bark is, you know, those courageous conversations when those alerts come across that this is a tool that your 12 through 18 year old is definitely using now. And our goal should be as they age, incremental trust and steps that by the time they're 18, they know how to use it. They've made some awful mistakes. We've guided them through that. The school has guided them through that. And that it's really seen as a tool instead of a weapon. Gotcha. Very good. Um, Renee, what are you, what do you take away from technology? It's not all, it's not all bad. It's not all good. It's just kind of, it's a tool, right? What are some positive spins to technology that you're seeing? Yeah, I love that you asked that question too, because we are sort of the gloom and doom team, right? We sort of hit <laughs> parents with like, this is what's going on and your kids aren't safe. But, you know, tech really is awesome. Uh, I think kids develop, uh, you know, stronger problem solving skills. Uh, it's learning is enhanced. Uh, it often encourages creativity, but like Katie said, depending on how you use it, are you producing content or are you just consuming it? It's just more conversations for parents to have. And, you know, another thing that is, it's important for us to remember is that technology is a lifeline and even a lifesaver in emergency situations with our kids, right? Whether it's being able to contact each other at any time or even, uh, you know, GPS uh, location. So, you know, those are the, the, the ways that I think technology is definitely uh, a benefit to us. It's just the way we use it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It can, it can be pretty amazing that we can, find our kids anywhere in the world. We can talk to them. You know, I've, I fought against Snapchat forever, but eventually I was like, well, my kids are on and I need to be there. So, and, and they don't, they don't text. They snap me. I'm like, can y'all just text please? Anyway. <clears throat> but yeah, I mean, I the, love the that your kids them. snap you. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. So, all right. So we, so we had a little bit of a positive spin. Now you said, Renee, the doom and gloom team, let's, you know, let's talk a little bit about this realistic point of view. I right. want to talk about some red flags that parents should need to be watching out for. If we're thinking about, you know, especially what Bark sees um, and, and in relation to sexual assault awareness month, what should we be looking out for if our kids are being harassed or assaulted online? For sure. Um, well, you know, there are some uh, definite red flags. We like to break them up into these categories of relational and, and technical. And I'll let uh, Katie dive more into the relational red flags that parents should look for, which are really just behavioral changes in our kids. Uh, but well, let's highlight a few of the technical red flags, right? Yeah. Uh, data usage, uh, internet browsing history, network slowdowns, changes in these areas are all just good indicators of something's going on. For instance, is there a huge uh, spike in data usage? What's causing that? Is it music, movies, pictures? These are all factors you'll want to address. And maybe a, a step as a parent that some of us haven't realized we should add to our, 
our sort of checklist of, of you know, what's going on. Uh, with the browsing history, the same thing, you know, you want to check that periodically. If you notice that a day or a week or some time period is missing, that's, of course, an indicator that someone's trying to hide something. And of course, with network slowdowns, you know, uh, that's happening. Well, I will say all of our networks have probably slowed down a little bit over the last year. So with this new baseline that we have, right, if you notice that it's even slower, again, what, what's causing that, uh, that, that increase in usage? And again, we wanna make sure we're investigating the change and not the child. Right, uh, mm -hmm. but yeah, those are just some of the, the technical uh, markers that parents could look for. And I'll let uh, Katie hop in for the, the relational things. Yeah, for sure. Ch chain or investigate the change, not the child. That was really yes. good. Um, yeah, you. Katie, what are, what are some relational red flags that you like to warn parents about? Well, as you know, with two girls, I have four girls. And so any drastic change in behavior, I'm always looking for nonverbals, verbals, appetite, more isolation and or the opposite of that, where it just seems like they're kind of, you know, becoming more outrageous, maybe more edgy, which is also how kids kind of develop, you know, street cred in their girl and boy world. And so it's really sometimes insidious and cryptic how these things come out. But when you look at a situation where I've had parents say to me after one of my talks, like, yeah, we had no idea until the FBI, you know, stood on our porch and said, your daughter is being lured and groomed by a predator that we've been tracking for a while. And so when mom looked back, she was like, you know, she was more sullen. She was sleeping longer. She was, you know, kind of covering herself up with more clothing. There was definitely some definitive behavioral changes. And I think that's where Bark and apps like Bark come in to give that behavioral insight into some of those things that like, as teenagers, as you know, it's difficult sometimes, like what is typical teenager and what is like, hmm, something's going south quickly. I would also call out more self-deprecating statements and or an uptick in kind of anger, rageful, weepy crying. That's definitely, you know, a behavior change that needs to be looked into. So to my, my two takeaways is check your tech and check your behaviors, mm -hmm. right? Monitor like those. We're, we're going to steal that. <laughs> there you go. You're, you're welcome <laughs> to it. So as we're talking about red flags, uh, I know that, you know, one of the things we want to watch out for is that grooming behavior, especially when it comes to, again, sexual assault awareness month. Um, Renee, what should we be looking out for? How does technology help us? Tell me a little bit about the grooming behavior and things that we, we should be aware of. For sure. Uh, well, this is really a place where you're going to need some technical tools to help you with these, you know, these these technical issues or problems, right? Uh, you know, it's also important to remember that we ourselves are not predators, so it's often difficult for us to spot these activities, uh, even if you're, you know, the ultimate most efficient helicopter parent in the world, right? Uh, so specifically, if we talk about grooming. Uh, you know, and I encourage you all to go, you know, just Google, you know, the stages of grooming so you can sort of see the progression, but it is, uh, it is something that predators pretty much stick to the script on, right? And so there's the relationship building stage, there's a trust building stage. And I think these uh, technical tools like BARC and other monitoring systems, they come into play at that third stage. This is the risk assessment stage when predators are trying to decide or trying to determine, I should say, how likely they are to be uh, reported 
or caught. And they're not just asking questions to figure out if a child is monitored by BARC. They're asking questions to see how closely is a child monitored, not just online, but in real life, you know? Do, your, do, do you share, is this just your laptop or do other people use it? Um, oh, parent, my parents are so annoying with these parental controls. Yours too? You know, like all of these different things, they're, they're really just trying to determine how close, how likely they are to be caught. And on the other side of a predator being apprehended by the police, there have been, uh, you know, discussions that the police have had or that the, you know, law enforcement has had. And time and time again, this risk assessment stage is that's the, a major deterrent. That's a place where a predator is more likely to say, uh, you know, this child is monitored too closely online and in real life. Let me move on because there are so many who are not. So whether you're using a, you know, a monitoring service like Bark that's going to instantly alert you uh, to any of these stages, uh, you know, also just monitoring your kids in real life is the, is the computer in a, uh, in their bedroom or, you know, is it in a group space and not just computers, uh, the gaming systems, you know, is this in a, you know, an open space or is this something they're doing alone in their bedroom? So uh, I could actually go on and on, which I will not do about literally stage three, the risk assessment stage of grooming and how these technical tools uh, will be a, are a proven deterrent to uh, predators. So. Yeah. So grateful for technology like Bark. It's 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 as simple as locking your windows at night and keeping a light on so that thieves look at it and go, nope, I'm not breaking in, and they move on. Yeah. Right. Same There's thing. So many unlocked kids. windows. Yeah. yeah. Katie, any follow up on that for you? Are you what are you seeing on on, on our technology I, I side? I echo everything that Renee said. I mean, it's really we serve. You know, I use the term smoke alarm. Like we're not a key logger app, you know, it's not every single thing your child's saying or doing, but it is a smoke alarm. It's like, hey, you know, we just wanna give you some insight into the friendship group and to what he or she's doing and anything that's, you know, high risk or inappropriate and or, you know, we are in a public health crisis with student distress and suicidal ideation. So um, the spectrum of protection that we offer is vast. Yeah, that, you know, we're talking just today about sexual assault awareness month, but gosh, the stress that our kids are under and everything that they're going through. And, you know, I used to, as a kid, this is a few decades ago now, um, I could write in my journal and write a short story or a poem or just a thought, and that would help me get out of my head. And that's good. Now they go to their phone and they post it somewhere and you're like, we need to watch this. And sometimes it's just them using it like a journal or a diary. Other times it's a cry for help and it's so hard to know, but again, monitor conversations, you know, using technology to help you, um, all great stuff. Like how much can you pick up just having family dinners as often as you can? Well, there's an old adage, as you know, that families that eat dinner together, stay together. Right. And so yeah. when we look at drug and alcohol abuse, we look at kids that have eaten dinner together with their family are less likely to engage in those behaviors. The same goes for tech. Um, so I'll let Renee chime in about that, but, um, I think the more connection you can have that's authentic like that, whether it's going for ice cream in the car, taking a walk, you know, the more time you can actually spend as humans together, the better the relationship's going to be. Yeah. 
And I will say to, to piggyback off of the connection theme that Katie just brought up, that is, if we can say that there's been something, I'm going to say good about this, this uh, pandemic, which probably isn't the correct phrasing, but <laughs> still, you know, if there's been something that we can take away from this, whether it's schools, whether it's teachers, parents, across the board, even kids, they recognize the real need for connection, whether it's with their friends, whether it's again with their, their, their teachers. Uh, so it seems like we're a lot more aware of it. And there's so many resources out there that help us to be better connected to each other uh, without tech and also through tech. Uh, one of the things that uh, comes up time and time again, parents just ask us, how do we start this conversation? You know, or I've tried to talk to my kid about X, Y, and Z just didn't go over well. Or like Katie said, I had no idea until the FBI showed up on my doorstep, which is yeah. why we try to put a lot of resources out there for parents to have these ongoing conversations. Uh, we have uh, conversation starters and parent discussion guides and all of these things we offer for free um, as part of our Childhood 2.0 series. Uh, which is, was really just developed to give parents some insight into what's happening uh, with kids online. What is it like to be a kid growing up <laughs> online today? So okay. um, yeah, just connection really just comes from, from conversation. And then those resources are at bark.us and we'll link to that in the show notes, of course, um, mm -hmm. to the main site, but you can poke around on, on the site for sure. For what sure. should What should we be telling our kids to look out for? Those are red flags for parents to mm. watch for. How should, how do we empower our kids to watch out for these things? What, what are they, what are they, should they be looking for? I think in Michigan, you have a great resource and Chris McKenna, he's with protectyoungeyes.com. Um, he talks about tricky people, you know, what do tricky people sound like? What do they look like? Sometimes again, it's very insidious and cryptic. I think anybody that's um, talking to you and things are starting to escalate really quickly. Somebody that's talking to you and you're like, something in my belly is feeling kind of weird. Um, I'm a huge fan of listening to our intuition and teaching kids at a very young age that, you know, we were given intuition for a reason. And if something seems off, it is off. And so those conversations have to start at age three, four, five, defining what is a good stranger, what is a bad stranger. And then as they age, adding in like, this is what luring is, this is what grooming is and giving them concrete examples. I don't, we do this like weird thing as parents and I did it myself, like somebody be like, oh, she's so cute. And you're like, say hi to the weird stranger in the grocery line. So we'd like give these totally mixed messages, right? Like it's okay if you're standing next to mom to talk to some stranger you've never seen, but don't do it on your own and don't go anywhere with anyone. And like, it's a very mixed message. So I think being as clear and concise as possible is definitely a first step. Right on. And I, I know Katie mentioned earlier, it's just stuck in my head now, the FBI sort of knocking on the door and you being like a stunned parent on the other yeah. side. But, you know, we actually hear that so much from the organizations that we work with uh, in anti-trafficking, from, you know, the FBI, you know, advisors that we have, but also even from kids who have been courageous enough to share their stories on the other side of this. Many of them didn't know they were being trafficked. Uh, so having those conversations just about uh, trafficking and about sexual assault, uh, these are things that 
are tough conversations to have. It's right up there with, with pornography uh, and some of the others, right? But again, ongoing conversations, uh, just, just better protect our kids. And I, you know, as a dad, two daughters, uh, it gets awkward sometimes, but if you own, I think anyway, if you own that awkwardness a little bit and like, Hey guys, mm-hmm. this is going to be weird, but we need to talk about this. This is important. And then taking away that shame and breaking that down and saying, okay, if this does happen, you know, I told uh, both of our, of our kids, if for some reason someone gets, you send someone a photo that's inappropriate and then you realize it was wrong and you regret it, you're not in trouble. Just come talk to us. You need to be able to talk to us. Um, I hope you never do it, but if it happens, like, we need to figure this out together. Um, and then just man, make a joke about how awkward it is. It's fine. <laughs> I have bad jokes all the time. If I could offer some resources on that, there's a wonderful yeah. website called talkingaboutsex.com. She's a former high school biology teacher and she started this you know, program and website and services and curriculum because so many kids were approaching her during biology saying, well, I need to know more about that. And, you know, and a lot of, you know, really good questions. So um, another resource is Girls in Sex and Boys in Sex. They're both books by Peggy Orenstein. They are phenomenal resources of like literally what these children in sixth through 12th grade are going through. And it's, you know, it is graphic in nature in that pornography is a part of, you know, those resources. Um, sexting, you know, if we know that the average age of sexting is 10 to 11 years old, then we need to apply the rule of five. Five years before your child's going to be exposed to something, whether it's a substance, a person, sexting, whatever it is, those conversations can start at age five years old at a developmentally appropriate level. And then each year you're kind of filling in more blanks. So by the time they're 10, they already have vast knowledge and a script of how to manage and navigate that. It's way too late to start talking about sex, consent, intimacy, sexual assault, all of this at ninth grade, way too late. They have been exposed to for many years to different things through classmates, playground, the bus, the bus, the bus. Mm. My goodness. So much happens on the bus these days. Mm -hmm. And and it's, I agree. It's, it's too late if you're waiting that long. If I have waited, is it too late to talk? Should I still go ahead and start talking and, and listening Absolutely. It's never too late to start the conversation. I think that's where that talking about sex website comes in because there's different levels of like, if you've already been talking, if you've never talked, if you're scared to death to talk. And the reality is the kids know way more than we do. And they are waiting for us to come to them in a way that makes sense to them. It's not sitting down at the kitchen table like, okay, let's talk about this. You know, it really is a hundred million conversations in the car, around the block, at the soccer game rubbing their back at night, you know, when they've had a tough track meet, whatever it is, it's a hundred million conversations and it's ongoing. A hundred million little conversations. Absolutely. That's, that's parenting one-on-one, right? At least you think so. All the the conversations, especially at a bedtime when they're like, I just want to waste five more minutes. Go ahead. (laughs) Talk, talk. I'll listen. Um, What's, what's next in tech that we should be aware of what's coming down the pipe? Um, yeah, I'd say VR virtual reality is already here. It's been here, you know, the VR goggles that kids can, you know, access and the VR pornography is huge right now. So for me, that's what comes to mind first. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
And I would also say just uh, things are constantly changing. And so I can't stress enough the importance for us to find a resource that we're comfortable with, right? Uh, maybe it's Protect Young Eyes. Maybe it's commonsensemedia.org. Maybe it's the Bark blog, right? But find a resource uh, that has a whole team of people who are putting out information, whether it's weekly, sometimes even you know daily, that tells you the new things that are going on. One of the ways that Katie and I keep up with uh, what's going on so we can have these conversations is by reading our blog. Uh, I think the last article, TikTok trends, the good, the bad, the potentially dangerous. Well, mm. you know, yeah, how are TikTok, how are predators interacting with our kids on TikTok? Uh, it changes. And so again, rather than give sort of a, a bullet point list of like, you know, this is exactly what's coming up. I do think it's important to just stress the, the importance of finding a resource that is continuously updated and making sure that you are putting forth time and, and effort, even if it's you know once a week, whatever the cadence is, right? To make sure that you are um, in the know with what's new because there's just so much. And is it fair to say that even though you know the platform that you're on. Like I, I'm real familiar with TikTok. I know what that's all about. Nothing else is new coming along. There's always something more, right? There's Clubhouse now. There's Fireside is a new one I just saw. There's always some new platform mm -hmm. coming out. So just keeping up on those resources that you mentioned, Renee, are so important. Yeah. Uh, what haven't I asked that you want to make sure that parents listening uh, or caregivers listening walk away with when it comes to keeping our kids safe during the Sexual Assault Awareness Month? For me, I think it's really about thinking about, am I, a am I a trusted adult? Can my child or children in my community come to me and talk to me about anything with me actively listening and asking questions like, tell me more about that and just letting the space be held for them instead of like thinking we know everything, knowing that these kids are like 20,000 miles ahead of us with the tech so really holding space for them. That's, that's what this generation is looking for is they keep coming to us saying, okay, you said if I don't feel okay to come to you. And then they come to us and sometimes our one-liners are like, well, you'll get over it. It's just a phase. I was like that when I was a teenager and we do a lot of like minimization and dismissal of their feelings. So I think for me is, can they count on you? And are you truly a trusted adult that is listening and can be a bridge. Even if you don't have the answers, do you have the resources or can you put them in touch with the resources that they need? That's great. Thank you for that encouragement. Absolutely. Renee, how about you? What, what, uh, what can we end with you on? Well, Dan, I really just want to piggyback off of something you were sharing earlier about, you know, the conversations that you've had with your own kids about, well, here's what's going to happen on the other side of you making a poor decision, because it's not if you know, it's when, and uh, like Katie said, you know, our goal is to have them make all of those horrible, horrible mistakes with us while we have our hands, our hooks in them in the home, yeah. right? Uh, so to that point, one of the things I'd like to make sure we leave you with is talk to your kids about what will happen on the other side of a, whatever you want to call it, a mistake, an incident, 
talk to them about these common online issues like predation and cyberbullying. And yes, you're gonna, I can only imagine the hard eye rolls, but you know, having these conversations and also what you are going to do on the other side of a mistake and what you will not do. Uh, I know a lot of kids, whether it's a major issue or something small, often say, the obstacle to them coming to a trusted adult is the fear that they're going to take away their phone because you know that phone is their that's their world and so whatever it is no matter how deep in they are they'll just figure it out themselves rather than uh tell you and maybe have that taken away from them so that's just a, an option that i know some parents choose to use they tell them look on the other side of this i will not take your phone this is what we'll do so if we could just, yeah, leave parents with that, having those discussions with what the consequences are before the incident. And Dan, so good. I added one more thing that came up yeah. for me this week and it's what, Tuesday? There's a <laughs> wonderful article on buildingboys.net and they also have a podcast called On Boys that is just phenomenal. Um, I think for me, I'm a girl mom. I have four girls, I have no boys, I have no brothers. Um, I think when people think about sexual assault, they typically think about females. And there are many boys and men that have been sexually assaulted. And so if you're looking for more information or now that I'm talking about it and you're listening like, oh yeah, that, that never occurred to me. Um, great resource on Boys Podcast and buildingboys.net um, on the subject of sexual assault and abuse of boys. Mm. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. I, uh, same way I think about my daughters, but I have plenty of, of boys in my life too, nephew and uh, other folks who have boys and yeah, we don't want to demonize them. They are absolutely just as much victims as, as our girls are. Um, and we need to protect them as well. That's good stuff. Uh, ladies, thank you so much for being a part of this. I uh, really appreciate the conversation, the work that you do at Bark. We'll link to Bark, of course, and those other resources that we mentioned. Uh, but I do appreciate you both, Katie and Renee, being a part of this conversation. And thanks so much for having us. Thank you for listening to I'm Not In an Abusive Relationship. If these stories resonate with you and you need help, please visit our website, dasasmi.org. That's dasasmi.org or call our hotline at 800-828-2023. We are here to walk alongside you. Now, if you know someone who might benefit from our show, please share it. Social media, email, simply telling someone about it, all help us spread the word and help us to combat domestic and sexual violence. We also welcome financial and volunteer support. That information is on our website. Thank you to the staff, volunteers, and board of directors at Domestic and Sexual Abuse Services. This podcast is produced with the help of a committee of dedicated advocates. Thank you to WBET Radio in Sturgis, Michigan for the use of their studio. This has been a podcast about surviving domestic and sexual violence and a production of Domestic and Sexual Abuse Services of Michigan.